Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 22 how the whole event of Abraham sacrificing his son on Mount Moriah was orchestrated by God, but how it depended on the obedience of Abraham unto God. Now, as we approach Christmas time, we have so much to be thankful for. The Friendship with God radio program is thankful for your listenership, and we hope that you are enjoying this Old Testament expository preaching and teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, we cannot continue to air this Bible teaching program on this station if you don't support it. And so we would like to ask that if you would consider making a one-time or even a small monthly contribution to support Friendship with God, we'll keep Tom Cantor's tremendous Bible teaching messages airing for you to listen to and grow in your friendship with God. Now, you can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or you can donate by calling us now or after the program at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. We also want to remind you that Tom Cantor also has a bookstore with all of his writings, tracks, DVDs, and teachings. And if you'd like to order any of Tom Cantor's materials, you can do so by going online to friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on Friendship with God. For example, on his skin, then the lamb would have been blemished and it wouldn't have been a suitable sacrifice. But caught by his horns, he was able to remain unblemished. And that reminds us how the Lord Jesus Christ was without sin, unblemished, as it says in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And in Hebrews 4.15, it's emphasizing that too. We have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews 7.26, for such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. In Isaiah 53, 9, it says he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And 1 John 3, 5, you know he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Without blemish. See, all these statements describing the Lord Jesus Christ, unblemished, without sin, like the Lamb, or the ram, caught by his horns there. A lamb, 1 Peter 1.19. A lamb without blemish, without spot. Hebrews 4.15. Without sin, Hebrews 7.26. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Isaiah 53.9. No violence, neither any deceit in his mouth. 1 Corinthians 5.21. Knew no sin. 1 John 3.5. In him is no sin. All these verses keep emphasizing to us that he's without blemish. He's sinless. He's so sinless and so without blemish that before he goes to the cross to bring out how qualified he was to be the sacrifice, he says to his enemies in John 8, 46, which of you convinceth me of sin? Go ahead, in other words, he was saying, point out the blemish that you see. Point out the spot. And they couldn't. Now, we see the steps that Abraham took in verse 13. He sees the lamb and it says, Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Those three verbs up there in verse 13, very important. Because they're describing the decisive event where we see that it was not enough for Abraham just to lift up his eyes away from himself and look and recognize that the ram was God's provided unblemished sacrifice. 
It was not enough. Abraham had to go to the ram, he had to take the ram, and he had to offer the ram. And in the same way, it's not enough for a person to look to God and recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ is God's provided sacrifice for his sins. A person must come to the Lord Jesus Christ and take the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. As he said in John 5.40, you will not come to me that you might have life. So in order to be saved, a person, number one, has to, as Abraham did, lift up his eyes and look. He has to look away from himself to God. Number two, as Abraham found the ram behind him, especially for a Jewish person, he has to recognize that his God and Savior is the one he's turned his back on, along with all the other people, by despising and rejecting him. And number three, as Abraham saw the ram unblemished, so the person must recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only sinless man who's ever been on planet Earth. And as Abraham went and took the ram and offered the ram, so must a person go to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him personally to receive eternal life. Now, at the end of this verse, in verse 13, it's very interesting because we see a very significant phrase. And it says this, he offered him up for a burnt offering, and here's the phrase, in the stead of his son. This shows the purpose, what was actually happening here. He was offered in the stead of his son. See, with that phrase, in the stead of, which is actually one Hebrew word, with that phrase, in the stead of, we have now opened up for us the whole Levitical system of sacrifices. It's all just become blossomed out for us with that one word there. And so what does that word mean? See, when Eve had a son after Abel was murdered by Cain, she used this word. This word in the stead of is the word tachat, tachat. And so she said in Genesis 4.25, Adam knew his wife again. She bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of tachat, Abel, whom Cain slew. Getting a picture of this word. When Jacob was angry with Rachel, Jacob never had to worry about his heart beating too slowly as long as he, Rachel was around. <laughs> Because she was the spice of his life. But anyway, but in this one particular time, Rachel demanded children from Jacob. Just get a picture of the scene, grab them. Give me children, or else I die, she said. So this got under his skin, you know. And so what happened was he used the word tachat to her when he said in Genesis 30, verse 2, Abraham's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in God's stead, tachat, who hath withheld thee from the fruit of the womb? That's again, that word. And when King David, who was going to take over the kingdom, and so King David wanted to make it very clear that it was Solomon who was going to take over, succeed him, and so he used the word tachat. At that time, in 1 Kings 1, 34-35, and he's giving instructions, he said, let Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, appoint him there king over Israel, and blow you the trumpet, and say, God save the king Solomon, and then you shall come up after him, that he may come and sit upon my throne, for he shall be king in my stead, tachat, and I have appointed him to be a ruler over Israel and over Judah. See, tachat, what we see in all these cases here, tachat means to be in the place of, to be a substitute for. And so there's Abraham, and he's looking at Isaac on the altar, and he sees Isaac as he was described by God in the second verse, his son, his only son Isaac, whom he loves, and there's a cry from Abraham's heart, and he's saying, here's the altar, but isn't there a substitute? For Isaac to die in his place, isn't there a tachat for Isaac? And there's the altar, and the altar's built, and the altar's hungry, 
The altar's crying out. There must be judgment, the altar says. There must be a sacrifice. If not Isaac, then where is the substitute for Isaac? Where is the tachat for Isaac? And then there's Isaac, and he's on the altar. And Isaac, from his heart, he's saying, do I have to die? Do I, isn't there a substitute for me? Isn't there a tachat for me? So in essence, Isaac, again, on the altar, is repeating the question that he asked in the seventh verse. When he says, behold the fire, only now it's a little bit closer to him, and the wood, but he says, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is the lamb that is the tachat for me? And so Abraham, the altar, the Isaac, they're all looking for the tachat. They're looking for the substitute for Isaac to die in his place. Then comes from verse 13, the impact when Abraham lifts up his eyes and looks and behold, behind him the ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. As if the ram answers and Abraham's question, and the ram is answering the altar's question. The ram is answering Isaac's question. Where's the substitute? Where's the tachat? And what does the ram do when he's caught in the bush? What does the ram do when he's caught in the bush? He shakes the bush. He's trying to get out. And so he's shaking the bush. He's making a racket back there. And with that noise, the ram is saying, look at me. Look at me. Behold me. Take me. I'm the substitute. I'm the tachat. He says, now Isaac can go free. Then we see that impact here in Abraham, verse 13. Abraham took the ram, offered him for burnt offering in the tachat, in the stead of his son. Abraham was saying, the substitute's been found. Isaac can go free. And the altar is saying, the substitute's been found. Isaac can go free. And Isaac especially is saying, that the substitute is found. I can go free. And so Isaac could go free because, in essence, the ram was saying in the bush, look at me, I'm the substitute, let Isaac go free. So when the Lord Jesus Christ is arrested, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane there, and he wasn't alone. His disciples were with him, and his disciples also were in danger of being arrested. See, the one who had the most peace about this was Peter, of course. You know, he had no worries at all. He just was a little ear-cutting ceremony. But anyway, what happened there in the Garden is that the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 18, 8 through 9, Jesus answered, and he said, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me... Let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ said at that moment, I am he, it was like he was the ram in the bush, and he was saying, I am he. It was like he was the ram saying, look at me, behold me, I'm the tachat, I'm the substitute. And when the Lord Jesus Christ said, if therefore you seek me, let these go their way, as as if the ram was saying, sacrifice me instead and let Isaac go free. And when he said in the garden, I am he, if therefore you seek me, let these go their way, he was saying, sacrifice me instead of these and let my followers go free. To the Father, he was saying, sacrifice me instead, let my followers go free. To us, he's saying, sacrifice me instead, you go free. And that's why right after he said that, in John 18, 8 there, he said, I am he, if therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That's why it says in the next verse, in uh, John 18, 9, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake, of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. He lost none of his followers because he became their substitute in the judgment that they deserved. And Isaac did not die that day on Mount Moriah because the ram was Isaac's substitute. For a sacrifice. And when that happened, Isaac got off of there and said, that was a close one. Now, I don't know what he said. I'm glad that ram's there. But you know, what's interesting is that we don't know where this ram came from. We don't, we, we, you know, that's not given to us. But what's interesting here is that there was, only ram, there was only one ram. There was only one ram that was caught in that bush. Abraham didn't have to choose 
well, let's see, should it be this ram or this ram or this ram? You know, there's a whole herd of rams that ran into this bush. And that's not what happened. There was just one ram in the bush. And in the same way, there are not several sacrifices for a man to choose for God's substitute for him. There's only one, as the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 10, 9, I am the door. In John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. In John 6, 51, I am the living bread. In John 15, 5, I am the vine. In John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. In John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. And so therefore it was proclaimed in Acts four twelve. neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just one moment. Now, our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, is not just a teacher, pastor, scientist, CEO, and 2009 Whistleblower of the Year award recipient winner. He is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism ministry that has reached millions of lost Jewish people around the world, from the U.S. to South America to Israel, and we've reached them with the gospel and Jewish materials so that they too might be saved. Now, Tom Cantor is a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to reach other Tom Cantors that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We do that through free gospel gifts and messages that we offer for free. You can help us by supporting this Bible teaching radio program by calling us at 800-247-3051-800-247-3051. See, just as the ram shook the bush, and as if there's just one ram there, and God pointed Abraham by all that noise that here it is. The ram is sitting there, and the ram is saying, Here I am. Look at me. Take me as a substitute. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, he says in Isaiah 45, 21 through 22, There's no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. Very important. There's none else. There's none beside me. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there's none else. See, in these verses here, God is saying that there's no God beside him. There's another verse where it says he looked around to his side just to confirm. (laughs) He said, nope, I don't see anybody. (laughs) But he goes on, he said, there's no God beside me. And then he said that he is a savior, that all men everywhere to the end of the earth, even Nigeria, and that's pretty much the end of the earth. Ethiopia is more the end of the earth, but anyway. That they should look unto him and be saved. And so when he speaks of himself as a savior God, there's one place where we see God as a savior, and that's the cross. That's the cross. And so when he says a savior, that there's none beside me, and then he goes right away in Isaiah, the verse 22, and says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. What he's saying is that we, we ask the question, where's he saying that? Look unto me and be ye saved. He's on the cross is on the cross where he's saying that. On the cross, the Savior God says the words of Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. Look unto me as your substitute to die in your place and be saved. Look unto me as your tachat to die and be saved. Look unto me as your Savior God 
who became a man and is now on the cross, dying as your substitute. And just as the ram said, as it shook the bush, look unto me and let Isaac go free, let him be saved. So God says, look unto me and let me be the sacrifice. Then it says in verse 14, then after Abraham had sacrificed the ram, what he says here is that Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now, Jehovah-Jireh means God will provide. It's not really Jireh, but it's okay. You want to read Jireh, it's fine. It's Yere, but that's okay. And so it means that as Abraham sacrificed this ram as the substitute, and Isaac is going free, Abraham is sitting there and he's thinking about it, and he's mulling it over in his mind, what happened? He wants to make sure that he's got the whole impact right. And so he's thinking of Isaac's question. You know, this whole thing started here as we're heading up this hill in verses 7 through 8 when Isaac said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham's thinking to himself, and I gave him the answer, good answer. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide. As a matter of fact, when Abraham responded to Isaac in that uh, answer in verse 8, and said, God will provide. The word provide is the word um, yire, or, or jaira, if you like. What he said here is Elohim jaira, Elohim yire. Or the triune God is going to provide, which speaks of God the Father who sends, of God the Son who came, of God the Spirit who enabled. See, in verse 14, Abraham calls the name of that place. Now he changes it, and he's saying, Jehovah, Jehovah. He says, Ire, or Jireh. And so he's using the same word as in verse 8, but now Abraham is focused on just God the Son, or Jehovah Jesus, as providing. So Abraham is now focused, you see, before he was focused on the Elohim, triune God, providing the substitute, but now he's focused just on the Son, God the Son, Jehovah Jesus, providing the substitute. God the Son provided himself as a substitute. And that's what he said in Hosea 13, 14, when he said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. See, all these I wills. And then in Matthew 20, 28, he said, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. So now Abraham makes this great proclamation that God's going to provide himself a lamb on the mount of of the Lord. And Mount Calvary is just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And it was on that mount where the Lord Jesus Christ became the tachat. He became the substitute. And that's what Abraham realized when he saw this. He could see it. Somehow in his mind, he could see it all. He could see the coming day. He could see Mount Calvary. He could see the Lord Jesus Christ, where, as is described, the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. He saw it. And he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ knew he saw it. Obviously he knew it. And he referred to this time on this mount here in verse 14, when Abraham saw all this. And then later on in John 8, 56, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. And so those last words in John 8, 56, he was glad. It tells us how Abraham felt as he came down off that mountain. Abraham was a happy man. He was glad when he came off that, because of what he saw, what he came to understand, what God taught him through all of this. And not only that, Abraham was not the only person who was glad there. God was glad with Abraham. He was very happy. And in verse 15, it says, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, See? And God's glad because God emphasizes that what he's done, what Abraham actually did there, he said in verse 18, 
of Genesis 22, he says, what you did there, Abraham, because thou hast obeyed my voice. He put it that way. God said, that's why God was happy. He obeyed his voice. So the whole event up here at Mount Moriah, it was planned, it was orchestrated by God, but it depended on the obedience of Abraham. And God was glad with Abraham because Abraham had obeyed God's voice, even though he had this fear of dying, and he did it. And what Abraham did by not withholding Isaac and sacrificing the ram and so forth, he magnified the willingness of God the Father to give up God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, he magnified the willingness of the Lord Jesus Christ to become that sacrificial substitute. And that made God happy. It made him glad. God was a glad camper. I don't know if God was a camper, but anyway, he was happy. And whenever the Lord Jesus Christ is honored, and whenever the Lord Jesus Christ is magnified as God who became a man to die for our sins, that makes God very happy, very happy. So he says in John 5, 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. And it says in Colossians 1.18, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, he's so glad, God is so glad with this, that he repeats what he had promised before. He'd already said this, but now God goes one step further with this swearing that he says he'll do, as he promised in verse 16 through 18. And he said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, in blessing I will bless thee, God says, and multiplying I'll multiply thy seed, as the stars of the heaven stand upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. So God says, by myself have I sworn. Now God's going to the ultimate. He's reaching for the highest he possibly can in his promise, and he reaches for the highest level oath as it says, commenting on this in Hebrews 6, 13-14, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I'll bless thee, and multiplying, I'll multiply thee. So he's reached for the highest, he could swear by no greater, he swears by himself. His promise was to bless Abraham, to multiply his heavenly seed as the stars of the heaven, multiply his Jewish earthly seed as the sand on the seashore, and Abraham's seed was going to overcome their enemies, and from Abraham's seed would come the one who would bless all the nations of the earth, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, from the seed of Abraham who's blessed all the peoples from all nations of the earth. And so God so much wants to emphasize this, that he's going to bless Abraham, that he says that, look, while I'm blessing him, I'm going to especially bless him. And when I'm multiplying him, I'm going to step out of myself and multiply him even more. <laughs> I won't just bless and multiply you. While I'm in the process of blessing and multiplying you, I'll especially bless and multiply. You know, on Friday, I went down to Ducati to get an MRI, and a believer came up to me and wanted to give me a big hug. In the middle of the hug, I got an extra strong hug. <laughs> I said, if I said, if you hug me anymore, I'm going to need an MRI for broken ribs. <laughs> what was that? In hugging? She hugged me. You know, it was a special one, see? And that's what it means when God was trying to emphasize this and saying that this was very, very serious for God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for Abraham's obedience to you. We thank you, Lord, for your, all the trouble you went to to make so clear to us that we don't have to die for our sins because the Lord Jesus Christ died in our place. And we thank you, Lord, for the truth of how Abraham was so convinced that you are a God that raises from the dead. 
And so, Lord, we pray, make us to be children of Abraham today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another fantastic message from Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program as we've studied the scriptures of Genesis chapter 22 with Abraham and Isaac. We want to encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program by going online to friendshipwithgod.org to donate one time or calling us at 800-247-3051. We can set you up for a one-time donation or a monthly reoccurring donation, which helps us to continue airing on this station in this city. Again, 800 800- 247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can call us right now, or you can mail in your donation or even an encouraging note or letter to Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher, by writing to Friendship with God. That's P.O. Box 711-330. That's Friendship with God, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. And again, that's Friendship with God, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. Or again, call us at 800-247-3051. And we'd like to encourage you to go online to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse that'll come to your phone or to your email You can also find Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse on Facebook. Just search for Tom Cantor, Friendship with God, and you can also find Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook. You can receive your daily devotional verse through Facebook, Friendship with God, Tom Cantor, or Israel Restoration Ministries, all on Facebook. Or for more information, again, call us at 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow at this same time.